keep your place there in Hebrews chapter number 9. That will be our, our main text this morning. Sometimes it's difficult to get back up here after a few weeks off and uh, to know what to do and what to say. And, and I appreciate uh, last week uh, uh, Ron filling in in the pulpit and did a great job with his message and um, challenging our hearts. And then Jeff as well, um, just two great messages the last few weeks that were really challenging to our hearts and, and appreciate those guys for filling in. It's it's a blessing and an encouragement to, to be able to come myself and be fed um, with other men preaching. And so just wanted to say thank you to those guys and thank you all for being here this morning. I trust that we will receive a blessing from God's word as much as we have already received a blessing from being able to sing praises to him. We notice in our text of scripture that was read already by Jason that there's a covenant that's spoken of. And that that covenant that's spoken of is uh, it's, it's also called a will or a testament, and um, that that covenant is a is sealed or is put into force by the the death of the one who has made the the testament or has made the will. And what I want to focus on this morning is the covenant that the church is built upon. And uh, I want to use, really, we don't have enough time this morning to cover all that could be covered in regards to the covenant that we're built on as a church, um, but I want to I build a little bit of a foundation in the first two points, and then I want to look at some practical things in uh, Hebrews 10 that help us to understand how we can function together as a church based upon the covenant that we're built upon. It's so important that we know what we're built on, and we know what uh, we're uh, what, we're, what our focus is and what our hope is and, and all of those things so that we can then treat each other in such a way that is a, is a constant representation of what our lives are built on. And when we know what our lives are built upon, it, it becomes easier again to treat others that way, to, to grow together, to learn together, to challenge each other, to help each other, to nurture each other in, in, that, growth, in that growth process. But the reality is, is if we don't build on the right covenant or on the right foundation, um, we can become very critical of each other. We can become very hurtful to each other. Uh, we can become each other's enemies instead of being each other's friends. It's almost like if you build on this covenant over here, you become opponents on different teams. If you build on this covenant over here, you become a teammate. And now we're working together, we're, we're growing together, we're developing each other, and we're all, we all fall short, and we all fail, and we all have different positions, and we all have different parts, but, but we know that we're working together for the greater purpose. And, and that is ultimately, as, as we know, why we were created, which is for the glory of God. And that's why we were created. And as a church, we're capable of glorifying God best when we work together in a united way under his um, marvelous grace and promises to us. Christianity is built on a covenant that was made by God. There are several covenants in the word of God and two primary covenants that, that actually kind of guide Christianity or, or, or guide religion today. Just a few covenants in God's word. There's the Adamic covenant, which was God's promise to Adam and Eve if they didn't eat of the fruit of the garden that they would that they would live forever and that they would experience God's blessing. So the covenant that was made to Adam was a covenant of blessing based upon obedience. 
Then you have the Noahic covenant in which God says with the rainbow in the sky, he says, I will never flood the earth again. I'm never going to send my judgment in such a way as to flood the earth again. If you go to the end of the scriptures, the Bible is very clear that the next time that God will judge the earth, it will be by fire. So God makes a promise to Noah, and every time you see that rainbow in the sky, we see them around here quite often. We, we, right by our house, we see actually two on top of each other every time it rains. It's just the most beautiful thing. And every time we see those things, it's, it's not just that, oh, okay, wow, that beautiful rainbow in the sky. That's actually a reminder of the promise of God to Noah, that there would, he would never flood the earth again. So when we see that rainbow, we're meant to be reminded of God's goodness. We're meant to be reminded of God's covenant with his people. Then we have the Abrahamic covenant in which God, um, in Genesis 12 and in Genesis 15, God selects Abraham and he makes a covenant with him and he tells him, I'm going to make of you a great nation and I'm going to bless all the nations that bless you and I'm going to curse all the nations that curse you. The interesting thing about this covenant is it is blessing without any prerequisites. Um, With the Abrahamic covenant, God makes a promise to Abraham, but he doesn't require anything of Abraham for that promise to come true. The only thing that God, God, not necessarily required of Abraham, but that was a part of bringing that promise to fulfillment was Abraham believing the promise, accepting it by faith, and then uh, journeying to to the end, to the end result. Then you have the Mosaic Covenant, which is the Ten Commandments, obedience resulting in blessing again, very similar to the uh, Adamic Covenant, in which Adam, blessing through obedience, Mosaic, blessing through obedience. If you keep the commandments, then God will bless you. And we don't necessarily hold, we, we don't hold to that, okay, at all, but our culture does have a tendency to lean in that direction. We, we may not say, if you keep the Ten Commandments, God will bless you, Right? Because we all know that we all fall short of that. Romans 3.23, the way, uh, for all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We all know that we fall short of that. But we are, we are likely to say, hey, if you do these good things, God will bless you. It's really no different. What you're going back to is you're going back to a covenant that is built upon obedience leading to blessing. We have to be careful of that. We have to be careful of that from a salvation standpoint and, uh, and also from a sanctification standpoint. We might miss what God has for us. And then God made a promise to David that he would establish his throne forever. And then in Hebrews, um, in these last chapters, um, 7, 8, 9, and 10, as well as um, back in the Old Testament, the book of Jeremiah speaks of it, and, and all throughout the Old Testament as well, is the new, what's known as the new covenant. And the, the new covenant is that God will write his law on the hearts of man and he will forgive their sins. This is the new covenant, the, the one that has been sealed. This is why we believe that the church began at Pentecost because according to Hebrews, what was just read, that a testament or a covenant is not put into force until the death of the one making the promise. In this case, the new covenant is a will Okay, we all, we all understand what a will is, right? And we write out a will, and that will is not enforced. It's there, and we can read it, and we can see what it implies and what it includes, but that will does not come into force until the person who wrote the will dies. 
passes away. And then immediately when that person passes away, that will is put into force and everything in that will is, is carried out. That is what the new covenant, the new covenant, the New Testament covenant is all about. It's a will, it's a promise that God made that was founded on and built upon the death of Jesus Christ, his son. And that through the death of Jesus Christ, we have all of these promises being opened up to us. All of these promises of God's word becoming real to us through the death of Jesus Christ. The word covenant means alliance, a pledge, a promise, an agreement, which is also known as a will or a testament, as I already mentioned. The old covenant um, there's two main covenants, as I mentioned, that, all, that guide religion even today. One is known as the Old Covenant and one is known as the New Covenant. The Old Covenant is simply the Mosaic Covenant. It said to Moses, God said to Moses, if you, if you keep my commandments, then you will experience blessing. Okay, so obedience leading to blessing. The problem with the Old Covenant, there, there are several problems with the Old Covenant, and we'll look at them here in just a moment. But again, it was a system based upon works leading to blessing, and it was ascertained the, the way that you claimed this promise for yourself was by obedience. Okay, The New Covenant, which is in the New Testament, is um, a covenant of grace. It is God making a promise to us it is God carrying things out for us that are not subject to anything that we do, okay? In other words, God promises us blessings, okay? He brings those blessings into our lives, and those blessings are what cause us to do the right thing. They are what cause us to obedience. In the Mosaic Covenant, it is obedience. You be obedient, and I will bless. In the New Covenant, I will bless, and therefore you will be obedient, so God creates within us the things that he demands of us in the new covenant. It is totally of grace. We, uh, we know grace means unmerited favor. Jeff spoke very well of it, unmerited favor. It's not something that we deserve. It's not something that we understand or comprehend. We just simply receive it by faith. We embrace it because we know, every one of us knows without a doubt that if we were to be judged based upon our own righteousnesses, based upon our own goodnesses, we would all fall short of the glory of God. We would all fall short of his expectations. The old, the old covenant was built on a legal system. The new covenant is built upon a sacrifice. The old covenant said, keep these things perfectly and you will be rewarded. The new covenant says Jesus Christ kept these things perfectly so that you can be rewarded. The old covenant was impossible for mankind to keep. As a matter of fact, the old covenant wasn't even meant for mankind to keep. It was meant, it was meant to expose us in our sinfulness. It was meant to show that we were not capable of keeping God's commandments. One of the things that we, we have so many legal, we have so many um, legal people in here, uh, police officers and things like that, that come to the church here, and you guys all know that you're not called to go out and reward the, the good. You're called to go out and punish the evil. And when somebody goes speeding down the road, you don't get out and stop and say, you know something, they haven't sped this whole week, so I'm going to give them a pass. 
What you do is you focus on the crime that they've committed at that moment. And the law only focuses, remember this, the law only focuses on the evil that we have done. It never takes into account the good that we have done. Some people have the mindset that I'm going to get to heaven and God's going to weigh my good against my evil. If you think that way, then you're placing yourself under God's law, and God's law doesn't care about your good. All it does is it keeps a record of every time you sin. Legal guys, right? Police officers in here. How many records do you have at your office of all the good deeds that a citizen has done? Zero? I'm glad to hear that. How many records do you have of all the crimes that people have committed? That's the way the law works. That's what the law is meant to do. But while the law keeps track of all of the things that we do wrong, grace keeps track of all of the things that we do right. Grace doesn't notice the things that we do wrong because grace is favor based upon the work of Christ. Grace is kindness that God gives us in spite of who we are. Grace is God's taking Jesus Christ's record of of living 33 and a half years and never committing one sin, in addition to that, doing everything right. Grace is God, the judge, taking his record and putting it into your file. So when you break out that record, you see the works of Jesus. And God says, I'm going to reward John Prettyman for what Jesus did. That's grace. That's what the new covenant is all about. That's why the new covenant brings hope. If you want to turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Galatians and the fourth chapter. Listen to these words. Paul writes so clearly and plainly about this, this, this dichotomy, this, this contrast. He says in verse 21, tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? In other words, if you desire to be judged by the law, don't you know what the law says? The law doesn't bring life The law doesn't bring hope. The law doesn't bring joy. The law brings condemnation. Don't you understand? You who want to be judged by the law, don't you understand what the law says? For it is written that Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. The son of the slave was born according to the flesh, or according to works would be another way of stating that. Ishmael was born according to works. Abraham decided to figure out God's promises on his own. The new covenant is a covenant of change. He's going to transform you. He's going to make you new. It's good and not bad. It's a covenant, number three, it's a covenant of mercy. A covenant of forgiveness, a covenant of forgetfulness. He says, at the end of the covenant, he says, I will remember your sins no more. The idea is not that God forgets our sins, like he doesn't know them because God doesn't, he knows everything. The idea is this, that he will never hold them against us. He will never hold them against us. And the reason for that is, Isaiah 53, he held them against Jesus. 
Ne- never think of mercy. People often think of mercy as when we don't get what we deserve, right? That's the definition that most of us have of mercy, okay? L- let, me, let me expand on your definition of mercy. Mercy is when somebody else gets what you deserve, what you deserve. Don't cheapen it down to some, some overlooking your sins as if they never get paid for. Look at your sins as being carrying with them the greatest and highest price, and somebody came in your place and took the payment for you. That's what mercy is. And you know what grace is? Grace is not when God gives you a special blessing. Grace is when Jesus Christ gives up a special blessing and God gives it to you. You see, everything that we experience for good in life, Jesus Christ made the sacrifice that we might have it. It cost everything for Jesus. And it costs nothing for us. It's not a cheap salvation, my friends. It is an expensive salvation. The grace is that you don't have to pay it because Jesus did. It's a covenant of mercy. The Bible says in Titus 3 and verse 5, not by works of righteousness which we have done, we are saved, but by his mercy and by the washing and regenerating of the spirit. We are saved not by works that we have done, but by the mercy of God. Number two, the sign of the new covenant. Every covenant in the Bible has a sign with it, okay? When God gave Abraham the covenant, he told him that he would have a son, Isaac. When Isaac was born, it was, it was a sign to Abraham that God's covenant was going to become real to him. It was also, the sign was also given through the circumcision. The circumcision of the Jewish people was a sign that God was going to keep his promise with Abraham. The rainbow in the sky is a covenant, is a confirmation of the covenant that God made with Noah. I will never flood the earth again. We get to see that all the time. The covenant, the old covenant, which was the Mosaic covenant, was confirmed by a set of tablets, two written tablets of stone, right? That's a confirmation of the covenant. It's interesting, when, when Abraham, when, when Abraham, I always get Abraham and Moses mixed up, I don't know why. When Moses threw those things on the ground, right, the Bible says that the covenant was broken. That was the sign of the covenant. And they, he had to go back up onto the mountain and get the sign of the covenant again and bring it back down. And if you study the scriptures, you will find that he reintroduces it as if it's a new covenant. It's the restoring of a covenant that was broken, so the, the covenant that was there was, was symbolized by those tablets. Let me say this to you. The church, the church, you and I, are a witness, a testament, a sign to the new covenant. We're a sign to the new covenant. If you have your Bibles, turn to Acts chapter number one. And I there's several other thoughts that I could go through on this, but I'm not going to have time to do it because um, I want to get to my last thought here. But here's a, here's a verse in Acts 1. We'll help you think about this, okay? I've often viewed Acts 1 as being kind of an evangelistic um, passage of Scripture, an evangelistic verse, but I want you to think of it this way. In Acts 1 and 8, the Bible says, and you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost has come upon you, right? So we receive the Holy Spirit And he says this, this phrase has always boggled my mind. He says, and you shall be witnesses unto 
you shall be witnesses unto me. The scriptures say, the writer, the Lord says, you will be witnesses unto me in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the uttermost parts of the earth. And I'm giving you the King James rendering because that's what I have memorized. Okay? Here's the idea. God has planted a people in the world today who are filled with the Holy Spirit of God, and they're called the church. Okay? The existence of those people is a constant and a continual reminder to God that he has a covenant with us. And that as long as we're here as a church, God is reminded of the covenant that he has. And remember this, the covenant that he has, according to what we read in Hebrews, was made with Israel. Right now, the Israelites, according to Romans 11, have been given a partial blinding. But there's a constant reminder because the devil is continually bringing accusations to God, towards God's people, working to get God to destroy them. And do you know what keeps God reminded of his covenant? You and I sitting here this morning, we are a reminder to God of his covenant with Israel. We're that reminder. And as long as we're here, that covenant will be constantly refreshed in the memory of God and it's constantly being refreshed in our own hearts. See, that's why God redeemed us, put his spirit within us that we might be a witness. We might be a, not a witness like witnessing, but our lives, the spirit of God indwelling us is a witness to God of his covenant that he made with God's people. In the same way that we see that rainbow shooting across the sky every time, it, every time it rains, right? And it says, I'll never flood the earth again. When God sees his church gather together, it says to him, I have a promise. I have a covenant with my people. It's a covenant of grace. It's a covenant of mercy. It's a covenant of transformation. And he's continually and constantly being reminded of that covenant. Lastly, this morning, go with me to Hebrews chapter 10, and I just want to give you um, five, practical, five practical applications. So how should we function because of this? Here's what, Paul say, here's what the writer of Hebrews says. We won't call it Paul because we're not sure of that, but I just want to give you these things. Here's what he says. Therefore, in verse number 19, brothers, since we have this confidence... Okay, since we have the confidence of the new covenant, since we have the confidence of grace, we have the confidence of Christ, we have the confidence of the indwelling Holy Spirit, we have this confidence to enter into the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way or a new and living covenant that has been opened to us through the curtain that is through his flesh. And since we have the great high priest over the house of God, here it is, number one, let us draw near. So the first thing that he says, the first application to the Results of the new covenant is now we can draw near to God together. We can draw near to God together. And we do that on Sunday mornings when we worship the Lord. We do that on Sunday mornings when we, when we open up his word. We do that on Sunday mornings when we pray together. And we do it all throughout the week. We have now been given access to God the Father by which we have no reason to fear entering into his presence. Because we come into his presence based upon what? 
We come into his presence based upon grace, the grace that he has given us. And we come into his presence together, right? Community, church, based upon judgment, right? Based upon law. No. We come together and we enter into God's presence based upon grace. Do you know what one of the greatest interferences of a community of believers entering into the presence of God properly is? It is when one individual within that community decides I'm a law person and not a grace person. It's when they look at other people and they begin to judge every word and critique every action and they begin to to begin to destroy that person. It doesn't just destroy that person, but it destroys their community entering into the presence of God. He says, let us now, because we have this settled, our foundation is grace, let us now enter into God's presence. Let us now draw near to him and experience his goodness and his grace. He says, let us draw near to him with an honest heart, a true heart, an honest heart is the, word, the way the word reads there, in full assurance of faith, with our, heart, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil, evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. In other words, we can enter into the presence of God boldly because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. That's all it describes there. It describes all that Jesus has done for us. He's cleansed us. He's washed us. He's made us acceptable. He's given us a right to enter into his presence. Uh, John 1:11. if any man receive him, he'd be given the right to become the children of God. He's given us the right to enter into his presence. Hebrews 4 and verse 15, let us now therefore come boldly before the throne of grace that we might receive help in times of difficulty. Because we live under the covenant of grace, we can come really close to God and not be afraid. We can draw near to him even in our flawed condition. Let's go on, verse number 23. Let us hold fast, number one, draw near. Number two, hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering. Now, the idea of this is, is that he wants us to hold fast to what we believe in. Don't just let grace become something that stumbles and we walk on as a, a, something that kind of stabilizes our path. But what he's saying here is, is that because of this, you have a confession. He wants us now to live out that confession, Community as a church, he wants us to live out what we confess to believe. We believe that we've been made righteous in Jesus, right? Jesus Christ has made me righteous on the inside. And if I believe that, according to 1 John 3 and verse 3, I will work that out, right? What he's saying here is hold fast to what you say is true. Hold fast to what you believe. Live out what you confess. We, we definitely live in a culture today that, that has all the right words to say, but, but listen, folks, do our actions follow those words? Do what, does what we say really penetrate our heart and change us? Well, I'm, I'm, I'm all for the covenant of grace, but, but that covenant of transformation, I'm, I'm not for that. That's the same covenant. If you're a part of God's grace, you're a part of God's transformation. He's going to change you. And it's good and not bad. He says, hold fast to what you confess. Start to live it out. Start to see Christ as supreme. Start to see Christ as superior. Start to see Christ as sufficient. 
and let him become the center of your life. The other idea of this verse is that something's gonna try to strip it from you. And, and listen, it's not, it's not the devil's goal as much to strip us of our confession as much as it is to strip us of our witness. You can confess all you want about Jesus, but if you don't live it, you will actually become a stain to the witness that you make. Hold fast to what you confess. As a church, as a community, when you're working with each other and dealing with each other, hey, we're building on this this idea of grace, right? God accepted me when I was totally unworthy, so listen, I accept you, even though you're not worthy, and and you accept me even though I'm not worthy. That's how grace works. That's how grace functions in a, in a church, in a community setting. We gotta hold fast. Listen, we've gotta live out the things that we say we believe. Literally, one of the greatest stains on the 21st century church is how full it is of professors, but not possessors. Based upon the covenants that we've just talked about, consider other people. Consider how you can stir them up, encourage them, strengthen them to do what God has called them to do. And he says, and he says, stir them up to good works and love, which is what God calls us to do. Verse 25, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some is, but encouraging one another And all the more so as you see the day approaching. Number four, prioritize church. Prioritize church. And not just church as we're here together this morning. Prioritize that. But prioritize your small group throughout the week. Prioritize your opportunities to meet with other believers. Prioritize it. That means put it at the top of your schedule. I know this is hard for us to get our minds around, but this is what God calls us to. He says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all of these things will be added unto you. All of the things, folks, that are keeping us from being focused on Christ are the things that he says will be added unto us if we focus on Christ. The devil has deceived us to say, focus on all these things, and the Lord says, focus on me, and you'll have all these things. Prioritize the things of God in your life. I find it very interesting that the first thing to go in our daily schedules, in our weekly schedules, in our monthly schedules, when we can't fit something into it is what? It's devotions, it's prayer time, it's church. When we think about going out and doing something fun as a family, we think about what day of the week? We think about Sunday. That's the freest day. Listen, folks, Sunday is not the freest day you have. It's not. The world has taught you that it is, and they've lied to you. Sunday is God's day. It is the day that has been set apart. It was the day that Jesus Christ resurrected from the dead. It was the first day of the week in which God calls us together. And not just Sunday is is priority one, but all things that are God's things are priority one. 
Maybe the Lord would stop questioning, the world would stop questioning our, the reality of our gospel if we would start expressing how valuable it is and the things that are associated with it are. And honestly, folks, maybe our kids would stop questioning the validity of our gospel if we start putting it on the top of our schedule. I've heard it said before that kid children catch more than they're taught. Prioritize church. That's what he says here. He says, never, never count the assembling of yourself. When you come together, when your church comes together, when your community comes together, never count it an insignificant thing. I know, I know you can't make it to everyone. I understand that. There are things that there are things in life that keep us from doing that. I understand that. I'm not trying to condemn. I'm simply saying this. We need to think about where is it on our priority list. When we think about throwing something out that's, that's not so important, what comes to mind first in our weekly schedule? I've heard people say to me on occasion, well, we ask them, do you have devotions this week or this morning? They say, well, I just didn't have time for it. I want to follow up that question with, did you go to work? Right? You know what the Bible says in Psalm 1? That those who meditate on the word of God day and night will be like a tree planted by the rivers of water and everything that they do will prosper. We need to prioritize things back. Why? Because we're under grace. Because of all that God has done for us, undeserving, we should live it out. And then lastly, if you study the remainder of this chapter, the writer says this, If we go on sinning deliberately after receiving the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer a sacrifice for our sins. The last thing is live reverently. Two things. Number one, don't take God's grace for granted. He goes on to say in this text that people who take the grace of God as a license to sin, basically, that their punishment will be far greater We look at grace as some kind of cheap right for us to do what we want to do. Grace was an expensive purchase to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And he paid the full price for it. We need to live reverently of God's grace. Romans 6, verse 1 and 2, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin? Because sin sin. It makes opportunity for grace. Are we to continue in sin that grace may abound? He says, by no means. How can we who died to sin live any longer in it? And I close with this verse, Hebrews 10, 29. He talks about this, following in this passage, he talks about this group of people who heard the truth and they rejected the truth. He says, how much worse punishment do you think will be deserved by the one who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has profaned the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and outraged the spirit of grace. These are some things that we need to think about as a church, 
as a community. The new covenant is so amazing and so extraordinary. And God has said, Grace Bible Church, Hollister, I'm going to plant you. I'm going to put my spirit within you. I'm going to change you, and I'm going to plant you there. And you're going to be a constant reminder of my covenant with my people. And then he says this, because of this, do these things. In other words, we get to express what we know is true inside of us. So I I challenge us, if you're here this morning and you're not saved, you don't know Christ by grace, you know Christ by works, I challenge you to, to confess to him your unworthiness and to accept, to believe, to trust, to embrace that Jesus Christ has done everything necessary for your salvation. If you're a believer this morning and you're a part of Grace Bible Church, my plea to you is this, let us be a community of people that reflect God's covenant of grace with each other and God's covenant of grace with those who are around us. Let's pray. Father, thank you for our time together this morning. Thank you for your word and the truths that are there to guide us and direct us and to humble us, to make us what you want us to be. Help us, Lord God, to live in sincerity, to live with boldness and confidence in what you have done, to not be afraid or to be fearful, but to to embrace the grace that we have received and to live it out as a witness of your covenant that you have made. Let us be like the rainbow that reminds us that it won't rain, that we would be like the rainbow of life that would remind others and you that you have made a promise And that promise is is that you'll change us and you'll forget our sins. Thank you so much, Lord. We pray your blessing upon this day and the remainder of our week. May you be glorified in it. In Christ's name, amen.